You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, good morning. It's great to see you today. I'll say, um, so this is the transition morning where I get to say Happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas. Yeah, I mean, so the, I, I love, this is the morning I love because I get to, I get, um, I, I'm shielded. I feel more protected this morning uh, because I have poinsettias protecting me. I have um, uh, trees uh, lit. Uh, it's really great. In the, in the morning that I, uh, I kind of dread the most is the, is the morning after all the Christmas decorations come down. It's, it's the, it's like the barest morning up here. It, it feels so sad, but uh, we'll enjoy the next few weeks um, very much together. Um, this morning, I'll tell you a little bit about what we'll do. We, were, we are going to end, uh, we'll come to a conclusion this morning of our prayer series. We have, this month of November, been looking at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we, it's found in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 6, right there in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's also recorded in Luke chapter 11, where the disciples ask Jesus to teach us to pray. We've been looking at Matthew's version, and we'll finish that this morning. We're, we'll look at actually Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Uh, and then we'll also, at the end, uh, talk a little bit about Advent, what it means that we'll look um, these next several weeks um, as we begin to celebrate, uh, look forward to uh, celebrating Christmas, Advent, um, which means arrival, the, the celebration of Christ's coming into the world and um, how we can begin to prepare our hearts for this season in the midst of all of the busyness. But to, before we begin that and before we begin that transition, I do want to ask you to consider for a minute, if you've been here um, any of the last four weeks, um, how has the series on prayer uh, been for you? And what I mean by that is, have we have uh, looked at prayer and we've talked about prayer over the last four weeks, um, what has that done for you? Has it uh, been merely a time where you have uh, sort of looked at the Bible or listened to a couple of sermons and maybe thought about prayer? Uh, maybe thought about it in, ha in ways that you haven't thought about it before or haven't thought about it in a while. Uh, but has it really had an effect upon you? Have you prayed more? Have you tinkered around with your prayer life? Have you found yourself on a Tuesday afternoon taking a shot at prayer when maybe you wouldn't ordinarily have done it? Uh, my hope, my prayer, our prayer as a church, as your pastors and as elders, is that that would have been the effect, that that would be the effect. Um, maybe it has dawned on me this week that you might need from your church uh, permission to do that. Uh, silly as it may sound, maybe, maybe you do need that. And so I want to grant that to you this morning, that you do on a Tuesday afternoon, maybe sitting in your office or at your home before you go to pick up the kids, or maybe sitting in the carpool line, or maybe when you've just gotten the kids, and, and it seems that the, the quiet is gone and the, and the chaos has stepped back in, that you have permission to do that. That in those moments that it seems noisy, to take a, take a few minutes to bow your head and to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as we'll look this morning at the longer version with the doxology, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And as you fill in those phrases, as that serves as a model, maybe this is a model in those moments for you to pray that you would take that 
and, and begin to build in more of both a routine and a spontaneity of prayer into your life. You know, Don told me this week I had this great experience, um, one I really never thought I would have in, in all of my life. Um, it had been on my bucket list uh, for a long time, but never really imagined that I'd have an opportunity to do it. But I really did on Friday. I actually got to go to a unicorn birthday party. Um, on, uh, on Friday, my niece, Alice, my brother's uh, second child, turned six years old. And uh, so it was the day after Thanksgiving, and uh, she turned six on Tuesday. But on Friday, we have uh, had an opportunity to celebrate her birthday together since everybody was there. And um, it, was, it was actually this great joy. So I'm one of five kids. My brother's the youngest. I'm the oldest. And so we were all there. All the cousins were there. And um, I woke up to, uh, and I didn't fully realize what was going on. I think I had seen the remnants of it the day before, but it hadn't dawned on me until I woke up that morning and walked into the kitchen. My brother-in-law was in there making breakfast. It was about 7.30 in the morning. And he's about 6'4", 240 pounds. He's bald, has a gigantic red beard. He really looks like he ought to ride a Harley Davidson. He doesn't, but he should, uh, and wear leather all the time. Um, he's got tattoos and earrings, and he's He's really a frightening creature if you didn't know him. And he's in there making breakfast, and he has a unicorn tiara on. And I said, James, is everything okay? And he says, oh, yeah, man, everything's great. We're at the unicorn ranch. I said, oh, I didn't realize that. And as, it, as I began to look around, everyone had unicorn tiaras on. And the day began to unfold, and I realized when I was in the middle of a dream, I was living out a dream I didn't realize I'd had. And that is that we, I was in the middle of a unicorn party. It's actually very biblical. I didn't know this. If you had an old King James Version, you could go to Job 39. Unicorns are there in the Bible. Uh, but that's for another sermon and another day. But um, Alice, it was really great. Um, she's six years old, and she is larger than life. And I attribute that to my brother and my sister-in-law. They're great parents, and she is um, she's a hilarious child. And she is a great gift getter. The, uh, the weather was wonderful, and uh, so we were outside. It was, it was at noon. And there were gifts all around her, and she was opening up the gifts one by one, and each one she opened. And I mean, it was, it was, I mean, there was excitement, there was energy, there was enthusiasm, I mean, body language and facial expressions. Each gift, every single one of them, took her breath away. I mean, she cherished every moment, she appreciated every gift. There was Play-Doh, there were dolls, there were crayons, there were coloring books, there were... There were things I hadn't heard of or seen before. There's stuff I still don't know what it is. There were cards, and she would say, Oh, I got, I got a note. That girl knows how to receive a gift. I mean, the gifts, they were generous. The, the receiving of the gifts. That is what struck me as so generous. The receiving of the gifts were full of excitement and joy and wonder and laughter. I mean, it was sheer delight. I mean, she was loving every moment of it, and I'm telling you, it was contagious. When you see somebody full of joy, a joy that can't be contained, I mean, it's beautiful. You can't help but smile. I mean, you can't help but enter in to that joy. Enjoyment expressed. The Bible actually has a word for that. The Bible calls it praise. Um, another word that we use for it is called doxology. Literally, overflow of glory. 
It's what we were created for. Did you know that? We were created for praise. We were created for doxology. We were created to overflow with praise. We were created to overflow with glory. We were created that, that the overflow of our life, the overflow of our heart, would be to the praise of the glory of God. That's what we were created for. And we have an enemy that hates in us and about us more than anything on this planet, that very thing. Our enemy is in an all-out war against our joy in God. And his goal is to silence creation's praise of God's glory. It's, it's why it's interesting that in Paul's description of sin, in Romans 3.23, do, do you know how he describes sin in Romans 3.23? For all have sinned, and what? Fallen short of what? The glory of God. Now, now the, the glory there refers to what Adam possessed in creation and lost at the fall. Adam's loss of glory, that, that's, that's connected to the loss of eternal life. And, and God's glory will be restored to those that believe in Christ when redemption is completed. I mean, that, that's, that's primarily what Paul is speaking of. But we also, listen, in the context of Romans, you, you go back to Romans chapter 1, specifically Romans chapter 1, verse 21. And, and there's a parallel verb there, and it reminds us that human beings fail to bring glory to God. We do not give Him the honor and the praise that He deserves. Adam lost his glory because he and Eve wanted to be like God instead of delighting in God. And the fundamental sin of humanity. You know what it is? It's idolatry. Which is the exact opposite of what we were created for. And that is to praise the glory of God. Which is interesting when you think about this prayer that we've been studying for the last four weeks. I mean, it's as though when Jesus teaches us how to pray, it's why it's a prayer for believers. It's why it's a prayer that doesn't work for those that aren't believers. It's a prayer that, that can that can only really be prayed by those that are new creations. It's a prayer that can really only be prayed by those who have, who have been redeemed. That, that those who have, by the work of Christ, had the image of God restored, the image of God being restored in them. Because the, the entire prayer is really a declaration of praise. The, the entire prayer is those who are the image of God declaring back to God His glory. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. It, it is a prayer that constantly, from its beginning, declares that the things of God are more important than anything else. And it's a prayer here that when we look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, this, this final phrase that we'll consider this morning, reminds us that we have an enemy that wages war against the joy 
that we would have as believers in the God who is our Father. So if you'll look with me, I've got the verse up on the screen, but Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, he, he comes to this phrase, and we, we skipped over it last week uh, because we, we looked at verse 12, and then we skipped to 14 and 15. But, but verse 13 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. How are we to take this? What does this mean? Lead us not into temptation. Um, while it's true that God might allow testing of your faith for the purpose of strengthening you, this is, this is true. God may bring you through seasons of testing of your faith for the purpose of strengthening you. James, uh, in James chapter 1, verse 13, specifically tells us God does not tempt us. He goes on to say, listen, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt with evil. And he himself tempts no one. See, our God is a good father. He, he does not tempt us to evil. He doesn't entice us. He doesn't try to deceive us. He doesn't trick us. He doesn't seek to cause us to stumble. That is not the work of God. Maybe we could read the verse this way. Maybe this helps us to understand it. This is one commentator's translation of it. Father, let us not fall victim to the temptations of the evil one. On the contrary, rescue us from his mighty power. See, Scripture's teaching on Satan. Scripture's teaching on our enemy. It is sufficient for our guidance. It is sufficient for our instruction. But I would make a note, it is not interested in satisfying all of our curiosities. See, I, I think, and this is an aside here, so sometimes we go to Scripture, we, 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 we go to Scripture um, curious uh, about the evil one. And Scripture's not necessarily interested in satisfying all our curiosities about the evil one. It is sufficient in our instruction, it is sufficient in our guidance is not necessarily interested in satisfying all our curiosities. We have victory over evil in Jesus. This prayer is, a, is for the protection from evil. It is protection from the evil one. Our concern is our deliverer. You see, Satan's goal, our enemy's goal, is to diminish in every possible way the glory of God and the image of the glory of God. He seeks to ruin mankind. He seeks to ruin you. He hates you. It does not matter what he might entice you with. It does not matter what sweet and delightful thing he seeks to offer you. It does not matter what flowery thing he shows up with. It does not matter how much he seeks and appears to like you in a moment. You must always remember that your enemy at his core hates you and seeks to devour you. Always and forever, he is never the friend of mankind. You are created in the enemy of God, in the image of God. And therefore you are his enemy. Hated by him. He never seeks your good. His method, you can discover this from the very beginning, is to alter your attitude towards God. There are ways, I mean, one is to suggest that you're on level ground with God. Somehow the ground between you and God is level. To suggest that God is too far away to be able to see, to notice, or to care. 
that since somehow God is out of your sight, you are out of his mind. Or he would seek to come and persuade you in one way or the, uh, another. Through the influence of those around you, the things you hear, the things you read, the, to criticize God. To opine with regard to God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Satan's objective is for you to believe that what God says, what he threatens, what he promises, will not come true. That his love is not real. That his power is not great. That his grace is not sufficient. That his mercy is never ending. Satan's promise is glory apart from God. That's his promise. Always. That is rebellion. It's idolatry. Is not a new scheme. It comes packaged in all different ways. But it's the same from the very beginning. And so the prayer is, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Protect us from that. Give us eyes to see. Well, we don't want the the joy in our Father, the one whose name we seek to hallow, whose kingdom we desire to come, whose will we want to be done on earth as it is in heaven, who, whom we go to for our daily bread, whom we seek forgiveness from. Whose forgiveness we so desire to overflow into our life. We do not want that joy snatched away from us. So that the praise and the overflow of glory will not be snatched away from our lives. So it wouldn't be like a six-year-old that sat in the middle of a backyard surrounded with gifts and just opened them with a flat affect, just one after another, bored out of our minds in the middle of the most amazing unicorn party that ever was. Can you imagine anything sadder? Can you imagine? And yet, how many Christians live their entire Christian life Unhappy in the midst of the unicorn party. Right? This is the prayer. One note real quick. There is a safety for the believer. I want you to hear this. The believer may fall. Not only may you fall, you will fall. Okay? Just so you know. Run. Run full blast. Enjoy life. Live it to the fullest, and you're going to fall. You are. And you're going to skin your knee. But you cannot fall away. It's the great comfort that comes with this great power. And in a moment, in a moment, in a moment, if you've fallen, if you have fallen, if now you have fallen, if you are now fallen, you're down there, you're on the ground. And your knee is skinned. You, you're down there. Your, your knee and your elbows and your hands are all bloody down here on the ground. 
you can be restored. Last week we talked about it. It's a paternal prayer. It's the prayer of a child to a father. In some ways it's as simple as saying help. Help. That's the place to begin. We are safe in our Savior, Jesus. We are protected in His power. He is our high priest seated at the right hand of the Father. He presents us blameless to the Father. He perfects our works. They become the works of His hands. It's amazing. It seems too good to be true. If it weren't the very words of God. Now I'm about to do something that I can't believe I'm going to do. Honestly. And you can mark it down here. I may never do this again in my whole life. And I kept thinking about how it is I would actually introduce this. But I'm, I'm going to actually preach something that I don't actually think is in the Bible. Let me say it again, just for Matt Lance's... Because he's looking at me like, I can't... You didn't really say that. And I'm really saying that. I'm actually going to preach something that I don't actually think is in the Bible. But it could be in the Bible... It's not that it's not biblical. I think it's absolutely biblical. It's just I don't know that it's here in Matthew. And it's, you learned it. I I learned it. I I say it. And I'll say my grandmother believed it was in the Bible, Dan. She did. And and, and so that's good. She was always disappointed with me that I don't preach from the King James Version. And so this morning I am going to preach from the King James. And if you have the King James Version... I'm proud of you. (laughs) And if you have the New American Standard Version, you're pretty close. Because it's actually in there. Um, And it's the longer version of this Lord's Prayer. And it's Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. And it ends with a doxology. a, A word of praise. And it says, For thine is the kingdom and the power in the glory forever and ever. Amen. And, if, and you'll notice this. So, so in, the, in the King James Version, it's just there. It's just, it's just there. And if you have the New American Standard Version, it's there in brackets. I mean, they're, they're just a little bit committed to it, okay? Now, if you have the ESV Version or the NIV Version or another version, they couldn't fully get away from it. I'll tell you where you can find it there, Okay? You have a footnote. It's in the bottom of the page. They couldn't totally abandon it. It's just there in the bottom. And it has a footnote, and it says something like this. It'll say something like, not in the earliest manuscript. So I should give you a warning. This this is like a total nerd alert for just one minute. But let me say this. Here's what it means when it says not in the earliest manuscripts. All right? It means it's not in the earliest manuscripts. Which is another way to say it's not in the earliest manuscripts. But it's in the later manuscripts. And, and so let me explain how this works. What, what, Jesus, what Matthew's doing is he's recording what Jesus is teaching. It is possible that Jesus spoke this doxology and Matthew didn't record it. Another possibility is is that Jesus is teaching a prayer and not praying it. And that later the church uses this prayer as a prayer in the church, like a liturgy. So the church would gather on a Sunday morning and they would say the prayer. And they would say, you know, we need an ending to this prayer. I mean, this prayer is... 
is a prayer. And I mean, it leads us to a place where we, man, we need a praise. I mean, we need an, we need an amen. I mean, in the, in, and there would be, there was like a couple of charismatics in the, in the congregation. They were saying, we need an amen. And so they went to First Chronicles chapter 29 and they pulled out this, this prayer of David and they added this prayer of David to it, this amen, this doxology. And it was like, hey, that's pretty good. We like that. And so it caught on. And so in, in the Lord's prayer, it began to end with, and thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so they would just say the prayer. And then it just caught on. And they started doing this about the second century, the third century. And everybody started doing it. And then when they started recording the prayer, it just, it just ended up in there. So in the later manuscripts, it started being a part of the Lord's prayer. And that's okay. And it's not unbiblical because it's actually in the Bible. It's a part of David's prayer. It's David's doxology. It's David's word of praise. King David's. It's very Davidic. Nine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You see what it is? It's a recognition. It's a declaration that God alone deserves the credit and the glory. The kingdom, you know what? Here's a, here's a news flash. The kingdom is not ours. The power is not ours. The glory is not ours. The doxology affirms to God that it's not about me. It's about him. And what's interesting is that Jesus began this whole Lord's Prayer. Remember we looked at it, the hypocrite? He stands, it's an attitude of glorifying himself. And it stands in stark contrast to a doxology that glorifies God. One writer said this, it's great. Doxologies in the New Testament, and by the way, doxologies are all over the New Testament. Doxologies in the New Testament are associated with salvation, just like this one. And as you find people contemplating the realities of salvation, they burst into praise. A doxology is like the blowing the cork off the, as when the pressure builds. The pressure is the pressure of joy and the pressure of thankfulness, the pressure of gratitude, the pressure of being overwhelmed by blessing. Finally, it just blows the top off and out comes the bursting of a doxology. Doxologies tend to be, not tend to be calculated. They often not need to be exegeted because that in many ways is to miss the point. They're bursts of praise and joy, and they come in response to contemplation about the salvation of God through His Son, Jesus. And the oldest commentary on this Lord's Prayer, the old, old preachers of the church, a man named Tertullian, he says that this prayer is truly the summary of the whole gospel. And it's fitting that such a breathtaking summary should conclude with the reminder that we ask these things of God because it is His kingdom, it is His power, and it is His glory. And that he has the power, as Paul would say in Ephesians 3.20, to do whatever he pleases well beyond all that we would ask or think or imagine. And to him alone belongs the glory for which we would add our amen, which in Hebrews simply, in Hebrew simply means so be it. And all the promises of God, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, find their yes in him. That is why we utter the amen through him to the glory of God. I think it's actually a great way to end the prayer that Jesus teaches us. He's taught us to pray to God as our Father and not just a majestic force somewhere out in the universe. He is our Father. He's the source of our life. He's the source of our salvation. He is our forgiveness. 
He's our spiritual protection. He's at work in our lives. We ask him for our daily needs. And that unleashes from us thankfulness. And I want this to soak in for a second. You realize? Just think about this for a second. Jesus has taught us to pray. Jesus himself, through his word, has taught us to pray. Jesus has taught us to pray. That's staggering to think about for a second. Hey, we, I mean, it's not like we just came to church and we listened to some sermons and we read. I mean, we did all of that. But I mean, let it soak in for just a second. Jesus has taught us to pray. And what a better way to end the prayer than with a doxology, a word of praise. I think the whole prayer has been building to a doxology. The very good news of the grace of Jesus, the proclamation of salvation in His name, invites us to declare in full confidence that all power and honor and glory are His forever and ever. Amen. So here's the question for you. It's where we started. After all these weeks of learning, to pray the way Jesus is teaching us. How do you receive the prayer? How, how do you receive the, the teaching on prayer? How, how does the teaching on prayer impact you? It's a great question. So I go out on a limb this morning. And even if the doxology doesn't fit here in Matthew 6, I don't think there's a better way to end the prayer. And for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, praise is the language of a soul in communion with God. It's exactly how Jesus wants us to pray this prayer. To live our lives in faith with praise and thanksgiving. That's how God's people have always received His gifts of grace. That they revel in them. They, they rejoice in them. They receive them with praise. So, so it doesn't shock us that the church responded to the teaching of the Lord's Prayer the same way with praise. So C.S. Lewis, he really wrestled with this, this, this idea of praise. and he, Particularly as he was reading the Psalms, he wrestled with it. I mean, why would God call us to praise Him? He, he, I mean, he really wrestled with it. I mean, was it that God didn't feel good about Himself? He needed us to praise Him so that He would feel better about Himself? And what, why was it necessary And then he realized, he said it this way. He said, I thought of it in terms of compliment or approval or the giving of honor. He said, I'd never noticed all the enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and generous minds praised the most while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised the least. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely express but completes the enjoyment. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. The more we praise something, the more beautiful it becomes to us. I think he's exactly right. Martin Luther said, The Christian ought to be 
a living doxology. It's a vital part of our prayer because it focuses our prayerful attention where it belongs. It belongs on God. It focuses our hearts. It draws us to His Son, Jesus. And all through the Gospels, Jesus invites His followers to a larger view about life. Invites his followers to salvation. He wants his people to see things the way he sees them, the way the Father sees them. His prayer is about reorienting our life to the things of God and seeing the future the way that God sees it. You know, Paul, in his writings, he got this. I'll give you a little history of Paul. In A.D. 59, he writes this. I'm the least of the apostles. Four years later, in A.D. 63, he writes this. I am the least of all the saints. A year after that, in A.D. 64, he says, I'm the foremost of all sinners. I'm the least of the apostles. Then I'm the least of all the saints. Finally, I'm, I've concluded about myself. I'm the foremost of all sinners. One might think Paul the apostle, St. Paul might mature upwards. And yet what we see that Paul matures, he grows downward. There is a humility that corresponds to doxology. He grows downward. He becomes less, Jesus becomes greater. And the praise and adoration for God wonderfully rises in him. One writer says about Paul, doxology, doxology. It doesn't matter what aspect of salvation he thinks about. If he thinks about forgiveness, doxology. If he thinks about being rescued from this evil age, doxology. If he thinks about the truth that saves, doxology. If he thinks about eternal life and spiritual blessings, if he thinks about the supply of every need in his life, if he thinks about security and the fact that the Lord is going to preserve him right into glory, the response is always the same. Doxology. And the glory is God's. And the glory is God's forever and ever. Amen. And you know what he's doing? He's rehearsing what he's going to do forever. And that's praise God. Which brings me to Advent. You know, the very first doxology that we see in all of Scripture, or in the New Testament anyway, happens in Luke's gospel. The angels show up to the shepherds in the field at night, which is an incredible scene in and of itself, right? There you are, you're a shepherd, there's sheep, and all of a sudden there's angels. And the angels show up and they announce to the shepherds. And in Luke chapter 2, in verse 13, this is the way that it says it. And we have our first doxology in the New Testament. I think I have the verse. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, here it is. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, 
Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. It's the first doxology of the New Testament. Peace on earth. It's the announcement. It's the inauguration of the first advent, the first appearing of Jesus, the the coming of the Messiah, the the long-awaited. The Old Testament is pregnant with the with the anticipation of the, of the Savior's coming. And here He is. Unnoticed on earth. But the heavens knew it. And the angels proclaimed it. And it gets announced to some obscure shepherds on a hillside. Can you imagine? What an amazing deal. The first advent. Inaugurated with a doxology. The inauguration of the kingdom. Of Jesus. You know what's interesting? As we think about this Advent season, we remember we celebrate the coming, the appearing of Jesus. And when we do it, we, we remember the birth of Jesus. We have nativity scenes that remember the um, Bethlehem and the and the there was no room in the inn and the and the stable and the manger and, the, and all those things. But we also were drawn as the church to look forward to the second advent, the second coming, the second appearing. Not just the inauguration of the kingdom, but the establishment of the kingdom. The, the time when Jesus will reign as king. Forever and ever. Amen. And just as the first advent was inaugurated, was announced with a doxology, we find from Scripture that the second advent will be announced with a doxology. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, listen to the way that Paul writes it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, it says this, And when He comes on that day, to be glorified in His saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. The first advent, glory to God, in the highest, the second advent inaugurated with glory to God and His saints. Kingdom inaugurated, the kingdom established both in doxology. The first is established in peace, the second will be established in judgment. We live in between the advents. These next weeks we'll remember the first, we will long and look forward to the second. And in the meantime, you know what we live in? We live in the age of the church. And we might call this the doxology of grace. The proclamation of grace. Where we are those that would live with the overflow of the joy of the salvation that we have received. And like a six-year-old standing in the middle of the party. That joy would just be overflowing into praise. It's supposed to be contagious. It's supposed to be. We're to be doxology people. That's what we're to remember in the Advent. 
So in the midst of all the hustle and the bustle and all that stuff that you, you know, the Christmas music and the lights and the, and the mall and the Amazon and the, all those things. We, we got this for you. So grab one of these, take it home. It says purple candles and white candles and all that stuff. And if you can't find that, don't stress about it. Just get some candles. Or use matches. It's okay. Or if you've got four burners on your stove, you can use that. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I mean, don't burn anything down. But and, and walk through this. Do it on Sunday night with your family. And it's an opportunity to just pause and reflect and remember. And be a great gift getter. And let that turn into praise overflowing. In these weeks that as a church we remember. The, the king who has come and is coming. If you would, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we've had this morning. and Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, for the gift of salvation. Father, we thank you for what we remember in his appearing, coming into humanity as one of us, as taking on flesh. Entering into creation for the sole purpose of, of taking our sin and dying our death, becoming the object of your infinite wrath, paying the price for our rebellion. Father, so that you can offer us salvation and restore what was broken by sin. Father, we've fallen from your glory and you sent your Son to restore us to a people of praise and doxology. And so we do pray this morning. We, we pray for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and the only way we can pray that is because of what your son Jesus has done so father that's how we pray we pray in the name of your son Jesus and we pray by the power of your spirit amen thanks again for listening to the podcast today we hope that you were blessed and encouraged and if you have any questions or comments we want you to let us know simply send your thoughts to questions at bethelbible.com Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.